Welcome to the Howie Silbiger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. Get in on the conversation. Call 1-877-669-1292. And good afternoon, good evening. My name is Howie Silberger. Welcome to the Howie Silberger Show right here on the True Talk Radio Network. It is so good to be back. I've been gone for a while. So it's really good to be back, and I'm glad that you've decided to join me tonight right here on the True Talk Radio Network. Uh, For those of you listening on True Talk Radio, welcome. For those of you watching on YouTube, on Twitter, or on uh, Facebook, I welcome you too. Number to call if you want to get in on a conversation. The number to call is 1-877-669-1292, 1-877-669-1292. As I've said, it has been a while since we've been on, and there's a whole lot of stuff that's happened uh, since the last show we did. Uh, I, I want to remind you that uh, to support this show, and uh, I love doing this show, and I know that you love listening to the show. And in order to support the show, we have opened a page on Patreon.com. Uh, Patreon, you could, uh, you could donate as little as $1, or you could donate uh, a monthly donation. Uh, help us... Keep the show going. Help us uh, pay for some of this uh, and um, and help us out a little bit. So if it's $1, $5, every, every little penny counts, uh, go to patreon.com slash howies, H-O-W-I-E-S, at patreon.com and, uh, and donate. Be generous. Try to help us out as much as you can. It would be much appreciated. I'm Howie Silberger. It's the Howie Silberger Show. We are live, which means that you could call in. The number to call one eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. That's one eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. It is a free call, which means that I pay for it. It's free for you, not so free for me. I pay for the I pay for the call, so uh, feel free to use the number and uh, cost me more money. I, I I like spending the money to talk to you, so feel free to call in and be part of the Howie Silberger Show experience, right here on the True Talk Radio Network. So we're going to be on for two hours tonight. We're going to be on until 9 p.m. And uh, like I said, there's so much to talk about that I, I'm, I'm debating. Where do we start? How do we begin this show? What do we touch first? Uh, I, I'm kind of amazed. Uh, I've been looking at the uh, presidential ele- the presidential uh, elections in the United States. And I've been watching as the Democrats try to choose a leader. And I'm actually actually quite uh, flabbergasted, quite surprised that the choices that the the Democrats have, the front runners for the Democrats, is a Jewish millionaire socialist and a Jewish billionaire capitalist. Chances are that the Democrats are going to field a Jewish candidate to run for president of the United States. And uh, he is going to run, whoever, uh, whoever wins, he is going to run against Donald Trump, who has also been pretty good to the Jewish community. Now, I know there's a lot of uh, lefty Jews in the, in the U.S. that are going to say, oh my gosh, what do we do? Do we vote for Bloomberg, or do we vote for Sanders, or do we vote for Trump? 
What's going to be better for the Jewish people? This is what this is the question that's always asked. What's going to be better for the Jewish people? How do we vote? What is going to be better for the Jewish people? It's the wrong question. In my opinion, it's the wrong question. It's not the question we should be asking. The question that should be asked, that is not being asked, is who will be the best president? Who will be the best candidate? Who will be the best person to put into the Oval Office? Who will be the best for the country? You see, there's a lot more to life than just the Jewish people, whatever that means. I don't understand the concept of the Jewish people. No, I mean, I understand nationhood. I understand the, the concept that we're all one nation, one religion, one nation. I, I get that part of it. The part I don't get is why we worry so much about how governments in the diaspora are going to be good to the Jewish people or bad for the Jewish people. I don't understand why this would be a concern for us. Uh, sure, I understand uh, the history of anti-Jewism and uh, the history of Jewish, of Jewish persecution over the years, and that we hope that whatever government comes in is not going to persecute the Jewish people. I, I get that, that aspect of it, I get. I also get that we have a little bit of an inferiority complex, us Jews. We have a little bit of a problem where we, where we believe, and we actually, and, and a lot of people actually believe this, that we are inferior to the people around us. And that by being inferior to the people around us, that means that we have to be afraid of everyone around us because they are superior to us. And so when Jews fret about how good or bad someone's going to be for the Jewish community, how good or bad a politician is going to be for the Jewish community, that is basically saying that we have not come to the point in our collective history where we could say that no matter what is thrown at us, no matter what horrific government uh, wins an election or steals an election or becomes a dictatorship, that we have the power to fight back and to defend ourselves. And we do have that power. That power exists right now. We, we have that power. The state of Israel has proven over and over and over again that they will go out, no matter where, to protect and save Jews. The power exists. The power is, the power is there. It's, it's alive. But we don't seem to believe it. We don't seem to believe um, that we have this kind of power, that we have this kind of uh, strength as a people. And I guess that comes from, uh, from the years and years of persecution. I, I'm sure that's where it comes from. I can't, uh, I can't imagine that's not where it comes from. And I'm sure it comes from the fact that Jews have always been on the wrong end of the dictatorship. Jews have always been on the wrong end of, uh, of the persecution stick. And that doesn't help the cause. That doesn't give many Jews, um, many Jews the confidence to say that we, the Jewish people, are, are strong. We, the Jewish people, are... Um, are, are, are ready to fight back if somebody comes to grab us and to kill us. And it is also the fault of the Jewish leadership. The Jewish leadership has failed the people. And, and that's the honest truth. Jewish leadership has failed the people. 
And uh, I've said this a lot, and I, I've said this over and over again, over years, over years and years and years. I have continued to say this, that the Jewish leadership has failed the Jewish people. When Jewish, when Jews worry more about raising money and how much money they raised and honoring philanthropists because they want more money and care less about training the Jewish population to defend themselves, training the Jewish population to defend the state of Israel, to defend Jewish interests. When they care more about one and less about the other, and that's really where we've gotten to, then it, it is then it it is the Jewish community's fault. The leadership of the Jewish community's fault when Jews are attacked and don't know how to defend themselves. It is the Jewish community leadership's fault when Jews are are killed, when they're murdered in, in broad daylight and there's no retaliation, there's no there's no there's no protest, there's no complaints, there's nothing. It just, just kind of blows over and moves on. As what happened in New Jersey, as what happens in New York, Jews are beaten in the middle of the street in the middle of the day in New York City. And there's been no big Jewish protest in New York City. Jews have not taken to the streets. Jews are being Jews were killed in New Jersey in a supermarket in New Jersey. Jews were being killed. They were shot in a supermarket. And there were no mass protests. Nobody cared. Nobody cared. A Jew was mur- Jews were murdered, murdered, on Hanukkah. In a rabbi's house. And there were no mass protests, and nobody cared. And then we sit around and we wonder. Why does the diaspora, why do the non-Jews, why do people see the Jews as a weak nation? And we sit and we wonder, how can we change our image? There's only one way to change the image. There's only one way to rectify the situation. Only one way. We must start defending ourselves. We must start standing up for our people. And we must, we must, must, must. Not let the Jew haters win the battle. We can't let the Jew haters win. When we let the Jew haters win, then we are saying that we are weak. Simple as that. There's no great secrets, no grand conspiracies. When we let the Jew haters win, we are we are declaring our weakness. We are saying we are weak and we are afraid. And by saying we are weak and we are afraid, we are just encouraging more Jew hatred and more Jew haters to come and get us. What happened to the strong Jews? Where did the strong Jews go? Where did the Jews that that got up and started and fought and got arrested and and broke the law and, and committed civil disobedience? For Russian Jews, where did they go? Where did the Jews that protest in the streets go? What happened to all these Jews? What happened to the activist Jews? Where did they go? Why don't they exist anymore? Because they've been 
dumbed down. They've been discouraged. And they've been told not to go into the streets and protest by our Jewish leadership. It's open season on the Jews. And the Jewish leadership only cares about raising money, doesn't give a damn about defending and protecting Jews. Build fortresses, they say. Make your synagogues into castles. Make all your Jewish institutions into jails. Pass through metal detectors and guards and, and security cameras. Because that's the way they want to protect us. We must start. We must start right now. We must not hesitate. We must start immediately. Defending our people. We must start training our children in self-defense. We must start training our adults in self-defense. We must start encouraging our people to not be afraid. To not sit in their homes apathetic. To get on the streets and to say, we are here. And as long as we are here, we are not going to tolerate being attacked. We are not going to be tolerate being killed. got a message on Facebook. And uh, by the way, if you want to call in, one 669 1292 You could also uh, leave a message on Facebook or on Twitter or on uh, YouTube. And, uh, and, and they'll pop up on my screen here. A uh, message came from my friend Dino. This Italian brother will march in the streets with you anytime, Howie. But you're right. It has been open season on Jews of late. And this must stop. The Jewish diaspora must rise and desist. And, and Dino, you are 100% right. The Jews must rise up. We must not accept this as the norm. And we have been accepting this as the norm. And our Jewish leadership has said, oh, diplomacy. You know, there's a time for diplomacy. And there's a time where you got to stand up for yourself. And the time for diplomacy is before you start getting attacked in broad daylight. The time for diplomacy is before they walk into your institutions and start shooting you. The, the, the time for diplomacy is way before this. Once it gets to the point where they're killing you and beating you, the time for diplomacy has ended. The time for active. And the time for active, active fighting back has arrived. I'm Howie Silberger. This is the Howie Silberger Show. We are live till 9 p.m. You can feel free to call in. Number to call 1-877-669-1292. That is 1-877-669-1292. And uh, I'm not out of words. I never out of words. Words, words don't escape me. But I don't know how many more times and how many more ways I could rephrase that we have to start teaching our children self-defense. It should be mandatory in every school. That we have to start defending our people. I don't know. It's so hard for the Jewish community to understand this. Well, I'm going to take a little break. When we come back, the Howie Silver Show continues right here on the True Talk Radio Network. I'll see you in just a couple of minutes.
listening to the Howie Silbiger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. Talk to Howie. Call 1-877-669-1292. And I'm Howie Silbiger, the host of the Howie Silbiger Show right here on the True Talk Radio Network. Thank you so much for joining me. I do appreciate you being here. The number to call, 1-877-669-1292. That's 1-877-669-1292. Feel free to uh, to call in anytime uh, during the course of the show. We are here, and we are ready to take your calls at 1-877-669-1292. Now, the police have cleared the Jewish Community Center in Albany, New York, on Sunday after a person affiliated with the center received an emailed bomb threat, authorities said. We were just talking about this. Albany police were notified about the email around 11.05 a.m. and responded with officers and three canine units, Albany, Albany police spokesperson Steve Smith said. With the help of the New York State Police, officers cleared the building and determined that there was no device or any other threat inside the center or the neighboring daycare center, Smith said. The threat was emailed to Jewish community centers across the country. Uh, said Rich Azopardi, a spokesman for New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. Officials couldn't give details on the locations. Cuomo tweeted Sunday that bomb threats were made by email today against multiple Jewish community centers across New York. The incident is the latest in a growing number of anti-Jewish threats and attacks in New York and around the country. Cuomo said uh, there have been about 42 anti-Jewish attacks in the state in the last couple of months. Attorney General William Barr last month said that the Justice Department will get more involved in fighting such crimes as their numbers rise. The FBI has been notified about the Albany incident and the investigation is ongoing, according to Smith. Como was the Albany uh, was at the Albany Jewish Community Center on Sunday, according to Asopati. The New York Police Department is monitoring the situation in Albany. A New York Police Department spokesman told CNN on Sunday, saying it's not currently aware of any threats made to any JCCs in the city. Now, um... That's not the first time that Jewish. It's not the first time that Jewish institutions are targeted. Not the first time bomb threats are called into Jewish institutions. I almost guarantee it won't be the last time. But this anti-Jewish sentiment is infuriating. Absolutely infuriating. And unacceptable. And should not be accepted by the Jewish community at all. Where are the activist Jews? I don't understand why Jews aren't screaming and yelling and demanding justice. Where are these Jews? What happened to them? What happened to the Jews that cared? Where did they go? Where did they go? Thousands and thousands of Jews in the streets in the late 70s, early 80s. Demanding the release of the Soviet Jews. What happened to those people? Where are they? Why are they not in the streets now demanding that the Jewish communities in New York, the Jewish communities across North America, be protected, be saved, that, that someone do something about anti-Jewism? Why is this not happening? Where is the Jewish leadership getting up and saying, screaming, this is unacceptable? If something happens to the black community, as much as I hate them, and I really, really detest him, Al Sharpton is standing there and screaming that the black people are being mistreated. 
Where are the Jewish leadership? Where are the Jewish organizations? It's, it's mind-boggling. Absolutely mind-boggling that this sort of thing happens. But it's not a surprise. And the reason it's not a surprise is simply because in Belgium, for the f- sixth or seventh year in a row, they're having a parade, and the parade is, has, a, has a float, and on the float are Jews, people who look like Hasidic Jews, wearing strimals, those big fur hats that Hasidic Jews wear, and payas, the sideburns, and their bodies are made to look like ants. So Jews are vermin. Jews are ants. They're insects. It's the same kind of imagery that Nazis used to convince the German people that the Jews were inferior to the the Germans. It's the same kind of imagery. Now, I'm not saying, and don't get me wrong, I'm not implying or saying that the situation today is like the situation was in Germany in the 1930s. I would never make that comparison because it's impossible to make a comparison like that. In fact, it is irresponsible to make a comparison like that. But what I am saying is that when we don't learn from history, and when we don't look at trends that happened in history, we always run the chance that something like what happened in the 1930s in Germany could happen again. We run that chance. I'm not saying it's going to. I would never say that. I can't say that. I can't make a prediction like that. But what I'm saying is that we always run the chance that somebody, some Jew hater out there, is going to want to try to eradicate the Jewish people. It happens in every generation. So, Every generation has a Jew hater that is trying to destroy the Jewish people. And God warned us about that. We, we know that every generation will have a Jew hater. And we, we're, we're, we're quite aware that, uh, that it is up to us. It is up to us to fight back and to destroy this Jew hater. That's, that's our job. That's our job. We're failing that job. We're, we're absolutely failing at it. But that is our job. Our job is to fight these Jew haters as much as we can and win. And win. That's our job. We, we have to win. Because at the end of the day, the haters can never win. And we can't allow them to. Because if we allow the haters to win, then we are essentially allowing ourselves to be destroyed. We can't do that. We should never do that. But our Jewish leadership is not allowing us to fight back. Now, I love, I love telling this story because I, it's, it's just so telling. Uh, a number of years ago, I, um, I passed by. I think I've told the story on the show before. I guarantee I've told the story on the show before. Uh, a number of years ago, I passed, by a, um, I, I passed by a synagogue on my way to work, and I noticed that there was a swastika painted on the door of the synagogue. I stopped my car, and I took a look at the swastika, and I said, oh, Somebody desecrated that synagogue. 
And so it was just about the top of the hour and I turned on the local news channel. I'm listening to the local news channel. And I'm waiting for the story about the synagogue desecration. And I'm waiting for the story about the Jewish community, the official organized Jewish community, the official Jewish community, as they like to call themselves, condemning this horrific attack on the Jewish people. And I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting. And I get through the entire newscast, and there is no mention of the synagogue desecration. I'm sitting right in front of the synagogue that's desecrated. And there is no mention and no condemnations from the Jewish community. Nothing at all. Not a mention. Nothing. I said, all right. Then I'll call in. I had a small organization that I had started called Save All Jews Everywhere. Uh, I'd started with a friend and uh, I was the president of the organization. My friend was gone. He had moved to Israel and I, I was running the organization in Montreal. And I said, I will call in and I will make the statement. So I called the radio station. I said, listen, I'm calling regarding the synagogue desecration on the small little synagogue. And they said, there was a synagogue desecration? I said, yes. Could you send us pictures? And I sent them pictures because uh, I was sitting right in front of the synagogue. And I said, I'd like to make a statement. They said, all right, we'll record you. One second. They put on the recording. They said, go ahead. And I said, Save All Jews Everywhere, which was my organization, condemns strongly, in the strongest words possible, we condemn the attack on the Jewish people. Any attack on a Jewish institution is an attack on the Jewish people, and we condemn it. We are outraged by this attack. And I'm putting forward a warning, I said, to Jew haters in Montreal. Leave our institutions alone, leave the Jewish community alone, or there will be repercussions. And I left it at that. Well, my comments led the news for the next seven hours. It was the top, we were the top news story for the next seven hours. And for the next seven hours, you heard me screaming on the radio, if you attack the Jewish community again, there will be repercussions. Two hours after I made the call, uh, two, after two newscasts aired, my phone rings. I answer the phone, and it is one of the rabbis, one of our pulpit rabbis, who is also involved in the local United Jewish Appeal, the local federation. And he says to me, Who gave you the right? Who gave you the right to speak on behalf of the Jewish community? How dare you speak on behalf of the Jewish community? So I looked, at, I, I, well, I looked at the phone. I was a little dumbfounded by the phone call. I said, listen. I said, listen to me very carefully. I don't care if your organization feels that they are the official Jewish community. I don't care. I don't care if B'nai B'rith feels that they're the official Jewish community and they're mad at me for making a statement. I don't care. I wanted to hear you on the radio saying, hey, we're outraged by this attack on the Jewish community. But you didn't do that. I wanted to hear you on the radio saying, hey, this should never, ever happen again. I didn't hear you do that. So I said, well, somebody has to. And he was outraged. This rabbi was extremely upset. And he said to me, 
do you know that the damage you did by going on the radio? He says, now every copycat in town is going to go and desecrate synagogues. You are going to cause every single copycat in town, every single little punk who wants to get recognition, you're going to cause them to go and desecrate synagogues because of your statement on the radio. You should be proud of yourself, he said to me. You should be proud. And I hesitated for a second. And then I responded. I said, you're damn right I'm proud. I'm proud because I stood up for the Jewish community. And that makes me proud. I stood up for my community. I'm proud that I stood up for my community. Unlike you and your organization. He hung up on me. Because that's what they do. These cowards. They hang up on you. And he hung up on me. And I didn't care that he hung up on me. I didn't care. The next day, the national newspaper, the uh, Canadian Jewish News, came out. And in it, instead of condemning the people who attacked the synagogue, instead of condemning the anti-Jewites who attacked the Jewish community, this rabbi and his organization spent their time condemning me. Right there in black and white, a huge condemnation of me for standing up and saying what had to be said. A huge condemnation, half a page article, condemning me. I took that condemnation as a badge of honor. When the Jewish community condemns you for doing the right thing, be proud. I'm Howie Silberger, number to call, one 877 That's one 877 Sheldon Eric Fried will be joining me just after 8 o'clock. Uh, we're going to take a little break. When we come back, the Howie Silver Show continues right here on the True Talk Radio Network. We'll be right back.
And I'm Howie Silberger, the host to hear the Howie Silberger Show. Uh, you can feel free to call in 1 669 1292. If you don't feel like calling, you can always send a message through Facebook, Twitter, uh, YouTube, or anywhere else that you're listening or watching the show. So that was uh, Mordechai Ben David. Those of you watching the stream online, uh, watching the video stream, didn't hear the song. Um, uh, copyrights and Facebook and Twitter and YouTube all have different policies regarding copyrights. And although I have the permission to play all the music I play on the show, it is a real pain in the butt to 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 get these these uh, social media places to recognize the rights you have. So uh, when when it comes to going to commercial break, we only play original music, the original music written for the show. Uh, but on the stream, on the stream, if you listen to TrueTalkRadio.com or you uh, download the True Talk Radio Network app, on the stream we're actually playing music. And uh, the song I just played was Mordechai Ben David's uh, "Let My People Go," which was a song written to demand the release of the Soviet Jews. So when the Soviets were, were being held, you had the Jewish Defense League that was out there fighting for the Soviet Jews. You had uh, every, um, every rabbi standing on their pulpits and screaming for the release of the Soviet Jews. You had people in the streets protesting in front of Soviet embassies. Uh, activism was high in order to save the Soviet Jews from the Iron Curtain. But now Jews are being attacked, and we hear nothing, nothing at all. And that is scary. It is probably the scariest thing in the world when we, uh, when we know that Jews are being attacked, and we know that nobody seems to care, and nobody wants to do anything about it. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, we'll be joined by my... Long-suffering producer, Sheldon Eric Freed, right here on Howie Silberger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. We'll be back in a minute. Come to your rhythm, Messiahs. We'll get you higher. Get you through the door. Come to your rhythm, Messiahs. We're what
In our show, he was known as the Candyman. Although he was the guy by two, a simple man 
with no airs about him. He calls himself an ordinary Jew. Every morning the show doors he opened. He always was the first one of the ten. And after the prayers were all over, he'd stay on behind the other men. Old Dave Green's thinking he's our candy man That simple man with no airs about him Old Dave Green's thinking the man that no one knew Who calls himself an ordinary Jew On Shabbos, the children all flocked to him When they made a blessing, they would get a sweet Everybody said good Shabbos to him He was a friend of everyone he'd meet Well, one Shabbos during services The boiler blew Flames leaped high with the crackling sound The congregation was waiting outside the show When the news got out He couldn't be found Where's the True Talk Radio Network. Call 1-877-669-1292. And I'm Howie Silberger, the host of the Howie Silberger Show right here on the True Talk Radio Network. Thank you so much for joining us, and don't forget to like us on Facebook. Go to Facebook.com, search for The Howie Silberger Show, and click on that like button. Just do it. Don't even think about it. Just go and do it. And support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Howie's. And, uh, 
uh, you could always use a couple of dollars to help us uh, continue to um, to have this show uh, have this show aired, have this show aired, and uh, to continue, uh, you know, you know, with this show. Uh, it's not like we're gonna go off the air if you don't donate money, but donating money will help uh, alleviate some of the costs of this show. So we um, we would uh, we would appreciate a few donations. Uh, joining me now, as he does nearly every week, is my long-suffering producer, Mr. Sheldon Eric Freed. Hello, Sheldon. Hi, how are you? I am excellent. It seems like uh, five years since we've been on the air together, but it's, it's only been a few time. weeks. It's only been a few weeks. Yeah, because I even asked you that off the air. I said it. I don't remember the last time we were on. I don't remember, as a matter of fact, the last time the three of us were on, you, Mark, and myself. It's been a few weeks, and, uh, you know, I was just notified, Sheldon, and, and you know, you're, you're going to love this. Uh, Facebook, uh, Twitter, and, uh, and YouTube, uh, I switched over the, um, I switched over the, uh, when we go to break, I don't play the music that we play on the stream on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube for obvious reasons, copyrights and whatever else, right? Okay. And uh, when, when, when Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter hear uh, a little, even one second of a copyrighted song, they go nuts and they mute the volume. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. So I switched over, and I was just told, uh, as I switched over back onto, uh, onto the video of me and, uh, and the picture of you, of me talking to you. Okay. Uh, as I switched back, I was told that for the first minute and a half, that whole intro I just did, asking people to support us on Patreon, to like us on Facebook. That whole intro I did was muted. Oh, my God. Because that's what oh. Facebook, Periscope, and YouTube do. Oh. <laughs> so I guess we need to do this again? Uh, well, you know, we could do it again. I mean, people were watching just my mouth moving and hearing nothing. Uh, but um, look, 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 let's, let's try this again. They probably think you were a mime. Uh, I'm not a mime. My name's not Marcel Marceau. I, I'm not a mime. Uh, I'm pasty white, but I'm not a mime, right? I mean... <laughs> okay. But, but this, this stupid policy of these social media companies <laughs> is just infuriating. It really is. Uh, because you, you know what, Sheldon? I have the rights to use this music. I have written rights from all the writers and the, 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 the copyright holders of all this music to be able to use it. So how does this work? How do you send how do you notify them that you receive the permission? There's about a hundred you... there's about a hundred pages of uh, of um, of documents you have to fill out. Good lord. And I'm just not for each song. And I'm just not willing to do that, okay? Oh. There's about forty or fifty songs we use throughout the show. And I'm just not willing to fill out to to spend hours and hours and hours of my time to fill out um, to fill out these uh, these forms so that uh, they don't mute the show. I'm just not going to do it. I'm sorry. And never mind that. Even happen. if you were to do it, how long does it take for them to receive and approve it? Who knows? I don't it wanna... could take them months to do it. I just don't want to get go through that whole process. So I decided that uh, on the stream, on the uh, video stream. I uh, will just play the music that uh, our theme music uh, for the commercials. So sometimes people are hearing that theme music repeat itself five hundred times over four minutes because <laughs> the, the breaks are four or five minutes. So uh, you know, <laughs> the theme music will play it out. It's about forty-five seconds. Then it'll play again. Then play again. And play again. And I apologize to people. Sometimes I see the numbers drop off when we go to break. Right? Because <laughs> how many times could you listen to that music? Honestly, this is what I miss about the show. Yeah. 
You know, I because you can write books on these things. It's true, though. You could really write books. This is what I missed in the past five, six, seven weeks, whatever the last time we were yeah. on the air. Because you are a comic. And, and I say this as a compliment to you. It's just so infuriating, Sheldon. It just drives me insane. I understand it. Uh, I lose listeners over this. It, 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 it's infuriating, Sheldon. Infuriating. And now Howie has a bottle of special pills to tackle headaches. I will not mention the sponsor <laughs> name because who knows, that might be bleeped. Yeah, really, really. Maybe that they might want... be copyrighted, so we'll just say maybe, blank. Maybe they want to mute us again. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Mute us again. Yeah. Blankasin or Blankanol. Blankanol. <laughs> So we'll have so you have that next to you oh, let's go in case you have let's these go. things that torment you. I really got to take a blank and all. <laughs> so take a blank and all, or take oh, a, or gosh. take a Blair Blasprin, a Blair and then Blasprin. you'll be fine. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> blank and all. Uh, the uh... <laughs> so ridiculous. Um... But this whole policy, and it's, and it's funny. It's a, you know, compared to some major, major, major channels. Yeah, we are a relatively small channel. Oh yeah, but yet they monitor us. Like who's who's flagging us here? I mean, we we did get a letter from Universal from Universal Music. Well, that's the thing. I never yeah. understood that either. Yeah, we got a letter from them saying, "Hey, you played 14 seconds of a Beatles song without our permission." Good lord! And I was like, uh, "Okay, yeah, I probably did," and they're like. Uh, well, you know, you didn't pay royalties on that 14 seconds. I was like, oh, give me a break. What the hell's wrong with you people? It was 14 seconds. It was fair use. What's What the, what the heck? Oh, boy. I tell you what, the, you know, this is what just turns so many people off when they try, want to get a YouTube channel going. I know somebody who's in that predicament, and he he's trying to get, you know, he wants to get a YouTube channel, so he's trying to use a music to support something, and he'll say, like, let's say he picks a theme. Yeah. So I'll play, like you said, 10, 12 seconds, just the chorus of the song. That's it. Not the whole song, not even 30 seconds, not even 20 seconds. Just the chorus, fade out, get to the point. Right. He got flagged three times. Yeah. Yeah. In a year, he got flagged three times, and he basically just gave up the channel. He said it's not worth it. And basically, like you said, to, si to sign over these documents and all these other things and to start getting permission. It's just not worth and my with, time, really. It, it's not worth the time. Yeah. No. So, uh, so when, I, when, I, when I play commercials on the stream, I just, I just play music that belongs to us, that we wrote, that, uh, that was written in our studios. And, um, and uh, yeah, so, uh, so I apologize to people who tuned in at the beginning of the segment where it was muted, but blame oh. Facebook, Twitter, and, uh, and YouTube for that. Because oh boy, it was stupid. Um, I don't know what's the next thing they're going to wind up doing, but they're going to wind up losing a lot of subscribers. And I also suppose I also think I'm also thinking in the in the uh, long, not too distant future, um, maybe there'll be somebody else that'll rival YouTube or Facebook. You think I that could I'm actually? Not, you think that could actually happen? These these places are are huge. These companies are I, I, well. Massive. They have to do it. Obviously, it's a very slow, slow process. But with all these restrictions that they're having, they could really well damage themselves. Well, what might 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 actually happen is the government might actually just break up these companies, like they did with IBM years ago. Mm. 
There was talk about that. I don't know. Wasn't Canada supposed was uh, wasn't Canada thinking about doing that uh, to Facebook? Yeah, I mean that really should happen. And I, I think I don't that would be why it's that would happening. be. Yeah, that would be uh, really interesting. I'd like to see that happen. I would love to see that happen. And at least have some more competition in the social media circles well, other than Facebook. Well, these social media companies hold way too much power. I mean, a billion users on Facebook gives them uh, unlimited power across the world. Well, the best thing in the world also is, is just the advertising. Like, if you think if you advertise the show, and like you advertise the show, I advertise the show on my page. Yeah. If you think what it costs to advertise, like if you were to go anywhere to advertise, it would cost you an arm and a leg. But on social media, you can get, you know, hundreds of thousands, depending on what your network is, free advertising. Yeah, I'm not and sure. A, I'm not sure that we reach hundreds of thousands of people of our advertising on our pages, Sheldon. Well, I don't know if people read, you know, people like, uh, let's say that follow us and they send it to other people and they say, hey, you listen, you should listen to, you should listen to this guy that's always funny all the time and talks about YouTube and <laughs> Facebook and all this stuff and copyright and theme music. Hey, listen, we, you should listen in on this show. And if you want to hear anything that's ever happened funny in a commercial radio station, tune into this guy. It's true. You know, uh, the, uh, the, the idea of word of mouth advertising, um, yeah. Uh, is actually a great idea. Word of mouth advertising is the best kind of advertising you get. Yeah. Because if and a it friend, costs you nothing and the exposure is limitless. Because if, like if a friend tells you, hey, I listen to this, you should start listening to this too, then yeah. uh, why wouldn't you, right? Exactly. So the, that's why I think so anybody in the sound of our voices, tell people, tell your loved ones, tell your mishpucha, tell anybody, listen to the Howie Silberger Show Tweet, write them on Facebook, send them, in, send them something on Instagram, phone, you name it. Send them something on Instagram, phone? What are you talking about? No, no, about? Instagram and phone. And or phone. Yeah, that's what I meant to and say. foam? Like phone. Phone, like can phone you, call you. Oh, I thought you said foam, like, uh, no, like styrofoam. No, no, no. no like, What are no. you babbling about? You, you're many people, Howie, but styrofoam is just not one of them. No, I'm not styrofoam. That's no. for sure not. Uh, I mean, yeah. Yeah, show me the way to go home, right, Sheldon? <laughs> <laughs> on land, on oh. sea, on foam, Sheldon. Yeah. No, 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 uh, foam. Phone, P-H-O-N-E. Yeah. Not F-O-A-M, not F-O-A-M. <laughs> no, exactly, you got me phone. Spelling like stuff. Fin, like fin him, like he te fin him. You got me spelling stuff, Sheldon, that's scary. Yeah. Okay. Well, you see, that's what we need Mark on his uh, on his different quizzes and stuff like that. Yeah. So. Well, Mark will be back in a couple of weeks. Yeah. So, uh, he's actually on his way. Uh, he's actually uh, going into a trade show. I hear. Yeah. I don't know what he's doing. So, um, you know, when he comes back, he'll tell us. I'm sure. Yeah. Mark's, yeah. Mark's good like that. Mark is very good like that. So, Mark, if you're listening to the sound of our voices, wherever you are, we care. We care. Yeah. Yeah. Moving on now, Sheldon. Yes. Sheldon, uh, many Americans that are accused of sexually abusing children fle hmm. flee to Israel, Sheldon. They, they, they run to Israel to escape justice. Now, this is according to a report on Wednesday, um, and bring them back can be tough. Those are the findings of a CBS News investigation, which cited research by the Jewish Community Watch, a U.S.-based organization that tracks accused pedophiles. Many of the accused go on to abuse children in Israel as well, the report said. Now, Jewish Community Watch, which started tracking accused pedophiles in 2014, 
says it has identified more than 60 such people who have fled from the U.S. to Israel in that time and that the actual number is likely much larger, CBS reported. The organization says that, uh, that Jews are using the right of return, uh, the, the right that every Jew has to return to Israel, to escape justice in, uh, in, in, in the U.S. Um, the organization also said that most of its cases originate from the modern Orthodox to ultra-Orthodox communities in the U.S., but it happens across the wider Jewish community as well. The same thing that is going on in the Catholic Church right now around the world is the exact same thing that's happening in our Jewish community. Jewish Community Watch founder Mayor Seawald told CBS News, The cover-ups are the same, the stigma the same. Jewish men and women have been able to escape to Israel using the Law of Return, which grants any person with a Jewish grandparent the right to obtain Israeli citizenship automatically, he said. Jewish Community Watch's chief operating officer, Sharon Aronson, said that the blame starts with the Jewish communities in the U.S., and the U.S. government for not seeking extraditions. But the Israeli law enforcement has come up short in prioritizing the search for suspects. Israeli police commented that they take the cases seriously and coordinate with the Justice Ministry and police worldwide. So, Sheldon, um, you know, we, we always, uh, we always you know, look at Israel as the, uh, as the safe Jewish homeland, the place where Jews go to, uh, to, to escape the, the ravages of the diaspora uh, anti-Jewism. And now we find that uh, that you know there are plenty of pedophiles, Jewish pedophiles, who are abusing the system and using the law of return uh, granted to Jews around the world to go to Israel to to hide from uh, U.S. law enforcement to escape justice. It's it's really revolting. How, how do you think Israel should should react to this? What, what do you think Israel should do? Well, for the law of return, I'm actually very surprised that they don't. I, I, and like I said, you will know a lot of, more about Israel and its internal politics than I will. But I'm just wondering if the law of return and Americans are going for safe passage, passage to Israel. Is Israel, what's the, what's the point and how far are they investigating each and every person going back to Israel uh, based on their past. Like, if they have indeed sexually abused children, why, I mean, I, I'm, I fail to understand how come Israel is not investigating further. I don't know. Am I, am I missing something here? My guess is that most of the people who are fleeing to Israel are accused pedophiles, not convicted pedophiles. Well, accused is one thing because a, a person isn't, you know, a person is innocent until proven guilty in the court, you know, in, in justice in North America. Unless their name is Donald Trump. You're right. When, well, that's Donald Trump has always had a bad, uh, always had a bad rap from the media. Yeah. And and I get that. I, I'm not disputing that, but I'm saying, but he's not a pedophile. No. And he's no, not, no. and he's not, a, he's not a Jewish person going to Israel. No. So we're, we're you know, but going to the, going to the subject at hand. Yeah. I don't understand how he, honestly, I'm really at a loss to explain. Like, I could understand if somebody wants to go back to their homeland and they were not convicted, they were not charged, and they were not accused of, of uh, sexually abusing their children, I'm trying to understand how come, what's the scope of the Israeli investigation? Are they just saying, okay, you're, you're a Jewish person, yes, uh, you... You know, we have room to uh, welcome to Israel. Like, what am I, like, what do you think? Do you think that Israel is investigating, but they just don't have enough manpower to investigate the thousands of people that are 
that are seeking, you know, seeking to go back to Israel? I don't know. I, I don't know. Years ago in the 1950s, uh, Meyer Lansky, the um, American gangster that was a Jew, who was a Jew, uh, and who, who coordinated um, coordinated lots of uh, weaponry to go to Israel to fight one of the you know the various Israeli wars. Uh, when he wanted to escape justice and, and move to Israel, and he tried to, they stopped him. They said, no, uh, you can't come in. And then he ended up going to jail in the U.S. He ended up dying in jail in the U.S. Uh, the idea that, um, that Jewish pedophiles are escaping to Israel is sickening. I, the idea of pedophiles in general is sickening. Yes, but, definitely. But the idea of Jewish pedophiles uh, you know, exploiting the system and using the system to get away with this heinous crime and pedophilia is a horrific crime. What is the stance on the Israeli government? What is the Israeli government saying, or what is as, well, as the I am, I'm sure that the Israelis do not want pedophiles to come to their country. Okay, I but is, what is the government country. is the government going to cover this loophole, or the government? What, has, what's the stance like? Has I, I the government have, made any statement to your no, knowledge? No, not to my knowledge. There's been no statement made. Okay, uh, I've I've seen this. I, I saw the original uh, report from um, uh, from Jewish Community Watch. And then I uh, saw this report from uh, CBS News, and um, I find it interesting that even after CBS reported it, and uh, Jewish Community Watch released this report maybe a half a year ago, six months, six, six to eight months ago, and uh, CBS just reported it now, and the Israeli government in the six to eight months that, uh, that this report's been out has not said a word. And I find that fascinating. Why not? Uh- I find that actually very scary yeah. because I'm really trying to understand that that is not just a minor loophole. This is a major loophole. And you know what? That means that the children themselves in the state of Israel are not safe. Well, let me tell you, let me tell you, the children in Montreal are not safe either. Okay. Well, exactly. But Montreal, but Canada is not saying right now, not to my knowledge, that are saying anybody that is a convicted pedophile could come to Canada. That's a Canadian that's in the states. No, but they're, they're like terrorists into Canada. So I mean, that's well, that's that's a that's another story. But and it's the I, same and story. I believe in me, I don't agree with that. It's the same story, Sheldon. People aren't you know the governments aren't watching out for their citizenship. That's the story. The story is that whether it's pedophiles or terrorists, uh, the citizenships are put at risk. Right? Yes, uh, definitely. Government's job is to watch out and protect their citizenship. Exactly, and when, and when they allow terrorists to come into Canada or pedophiles to come into Israel, they it's are not threat, doing. It's a threat to the citizens. It's a threat, it's a threat, to, threat to the, to the people in the country. They are not doing their jobs. The exactly, it's failing their people. Exactly. There's no. There's no. There's no argument about it. Like I, you know, I want to know as a Canadian, and and I'm sure you want to know as a Canadian walking the streets of our fair city, you want to feel safe. Definitely. You know, you don't want to wind up going, being in the wrong place at the wrong time, being in the hands of a, a terrorist, a rapist, a murderer, uh, you know, uh, whatever. I, you know, you, you want to be able to walk the streets safe, right. no matter what day, time of the day or night, you know, to walk the streets. You want to feel you're in a peaceful country, you're in Canada. And, you know, but the thing is, yes, the government is definitely failing by allowing... I think we lost Sheldon. Sheldon, you still there? So let me tell you a story because uh, while we try to reconnect with Sheldon, let me uh, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you uh, what happened and and what really got me uh, what really got me worked up about pedophiles, especially here in Canada. Uh, years ago, maybe five, six years ago, I um, 
I was uh, I was running a sports a sporting event for Maccabee Canada. They had the big Maccabee game. Sheldon, I'm just telling a story. Sheldon, you there? Yeah, I'm here. All right, so I'm just telling a story about uh, something that happened here in Canada not long ago. Uh, a few years ago, I was running one of the sporting events for Maccabee Canada. They had the big Maccabee Games here in Canada. Right. And I was running the uh, in Montreal, and I was running one of these sporting events. And, um, and Maccabee goes from, uh, you know, middle school straight through to till, uh, till college age kids. And so you have a different, different variety of age groups. And I was running a sporting event for one, uh, for, for grades 7, 8, 9. Like uh, 12 to 14-year-olds, 15-year-olds, right? Okay. And, uh, you know, it's all volunteers. So I was there. I was volunteering my time. And then suddenly a, a guy shows up, and he's volunteering his time. And he was sent. He had the letter from Maccabeus saying, here he is. He's authorized by us to, to volunteer. And I, um, I said, okay. And he came in, and he sat down, and I asked him what his name was. And he told me his name. And the name sounded familiar. And I said, hmm, okay, your name sounds familiar. I don't think I know you because I didn't recognize the guy. But his name was really, really familiar. And he went down and he started working with the kids. And started uh, reorganizing the kids and whatever else. And then it hit me where I knew his name from. About a year or two before that, uh, I had been um, freelancing at the, uh, in the newsroom at CJD. And I covered a story about a guy who worked at a local Jewish high school who was arrested for molesting one of the kids in the high school. Oh, my God. And the name was familiar because this was the same guy. Was he, was he, was he convicted or he was just charged and then he was, and he, the case was thrown out? He was convicted and he spent a couple of years in jail. We. Oui. So um, I, I approached the guy because, I mean, I was, I was a little concerned now. And I approached the guy and I said to him, hey, so can I speak to you for a second? And he said, sure. And we walked off to the side and I said to him, you're a convicted pedophile, right? He says, well, I'm not really a pedophile because pedophiles deal with uh, young kids. I was, uh, I was convicted of molesting a teenager, so it's not really pedophilia. It's more pedastery, which is uh, the term, I guess, for, uh, for people who molest teenagers hmm. so I said to him I said to him okay here we are working with teenagers I don't think it's appropriate for you to be here I don't think I want you here um, he says I serve my time you have no right to tell me to get lost so I took a deep breath and I said to him buddy get lost right <laughs> I don't want you around the kids and so what he did was he didn't leave the bowling alley we we were doing a bowling event. Okay. And he didn't leave the bowling alley. He stood in the back against the counter watching the kids. Okay? It was creepy. It was like really, really creepy. And then when the kids went to get water or went to buy a soda or went to do whatever, he would approach them and he would uh he would start talking them up, chatting them up. And it was getting creepier and creepier as the day went on. And I called the heads of a Maccabee and I complained and I mean it was just it was just so creepy. But the police were not called in on this time? No, because, I mean, he served his time. There's, uh, there was no... Okay. Uh, as far as we knew, there was no conditions to his release. Okay. Um, about halfway through the day, one of the boys came up to me and said to me, Hey, uh, Howie, could I talk to you for a second? I said, sure. And he pulled me off to the side and he says, 
yeah, the guy over there, he just asked me for my phone number. I said, he asked you for your phone number? He's like, yeah. He said he wanted to call me and maybe keep in touch. I said, did you give it to him? He says, no, no, of course not. Why would I give him my phone number? That's weird. I said, yeah, yeah, it is weird. He said, I just thought I'd let you know because, I mean, that's really creepy. And so at that point, I called the police. And the police okay. showed up, and I, I explained to the police the situation, and uh, I told the police that, look, it's really uncomfortable having him here, and now he's asking the boys for uh, for their phone numbers. I mean, why does he want a 13-year-old's phone number? What's he going to do with a 13-year-old's phone number? Mm-hmm. And the police went over to talk to him, and then they checked uh, in their computer, and they came to me, and they said, there's nothing we could do. There's no conditions. He was released with no conditions. Hmm. And so I ended up calling in more volunteers to stand between him and the kids. And did, did we able to get extra volunteers to watch the kids and everything? Yeah, yeah, I brought in more hands just to stand okay. there to be between me and the kids, between Good. me and him and the kids, because oh. I didn't trust that, uh, you know, I didn't trust him to be there while we had kids there. Well, it's a good thing that you remembered what the, the, pers- the person's uh, name was and, and, what, uh, and what happened to him. And because otherwise, God knows what would have happened to the kids. It's absolutely by fluke because I just happened to have covered the story. If I hadn't covered the story, I would have never remembered the name. I would have never even known the name. Wow. So, so talk about coincidence. But this is what happens. People molest other people, uh, children. Then they get released without conditions. I mean, there should always be a condition after you're convicted of molesting a children, uh, child. After you're convicted of molesting children, let's get our verb tenses right, right, Sheldon? Right. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, I, English is your first language, folks. Yes, yes. And I have a degree in teaching English. And um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, enough of that. Uh, so um, when, uh, when you... Um, when <laughs> See what oh, are you okay? I I I think that uh, see what know, happens when really affected you. Eh? See what happens when I take a blank and all. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, I I really believe that when you're convicted of molesting a child of any age, the condition of your release should be that you can't hang around children of that age or any age. Uh, I really think that that should be a condition of your release that for the rest of your life you can't be around children. But that's not the case, Sheldon. and That's, that's not the case anywhere, I don't think, or at least not in North America anyway. But that's really scary. Yeah, it is very scary. And for countries to not to do a thorough investigation, I mean, look, sometimes you hear of cases, and I'm not, I'm, and I'm saying sometimes, and I'm not relating to the person that you, you know, that you uh, did the story on. Yeah. But I'm saying, they, you know, sometimes you'll hear, I mean, there are many cases, people that are falsely accused, you know, uh, just just like the Me Too thing of how many people were falsely accused and lost their reputation and will never get it back. Right. Versus people that are, were accused and were were convicted beyond a shadow of a doubt. That's a that's a horse of a different color. But if you're falsely accused, it's very hard to get your reputation back, I as mean, we so all it's, know. It's almost impossible to get your reputation yeah. back. Yeah. And uh, that's a big thing, too. So where do you draw the line? And, you know, we have to be very vigilant as a society. We have to have all mechanisms, proper mechanisms in place. What those mechanisms are is, it's, uh, I, I can't say, but there has to be something more than just, you know, wanting to go back to your, to your homeland because you're a Jewish person who might very well be. Well, Sheldon, they don't want to go back to the homeland because they're a Jewish person. 
They want to go back to the homeland because they know that the American law enforcement. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. But uh, but also that's because the only they reason. have. Yeah, but the thing is that because they're Jewish, they know they have a, a home to go back to. Right. And uh, and that's the thing, and it scares me. Well, that they have they have an escape route. They, they have, have an escape route, and who knows what you know? Who knows what they can go from there? They who knows that they might sexually abuse other kids in the state of Israel. And, and they, you know, for people that are listening in Israel, that could be your kids. Right. God forbid. God forbid. You know, so like, uh, why aren't the proper mechanisms in place? Why has the Israeli government not made any kind of a statement or formulated any plan of action and allowing this to happen? And I'm not even saying not just Israel, but I'm saying any country anywhere in the world that allows this to happen. Well, the government, I, you know, I, I, I'm wondering, like, you know, let's think, people, that could very well be your kids. I mean, I'm a parent. I mean, okay, granted, my kids are in their 30s now, but my kids weren't always in their 30s. You know, like, let's face it, the kids are growing up. You want the safety of all your kids, all, all your children. People want to live in a safe country. People want to walk the streets safe. People want, you know, for kids to play in the park. They want the kids to have fun playing in the park and not worry about things. So, Sheldon, in the situation I was in, where I had an active, well, a former pedophile, a convicted, a convicted child molester, uh, volunteering to work with children, uh, what would you do in that situation? Would you do anything differently? Well, I would do very much very similar to what you did. Either get people to make sure that this person does not come in contact and do whatever legal means that I can to make sure that this person does not come in, uh, come in any contra- contact with kids. I Like you said, what more can you do? If the police checked it and they said there's nothing we can do because there's no conditions, really the only thing you could do is just be very vigilant and educate the, your kids, educate these kids to make sure they don't give any, any personal information, like their phone numbers, their addresses or anything. Walk in groups, always be together like uh, at least two or three obviously with an adult and uh, you know there's strength in numbers because if a child is all alone uh i would i would be very scared for that child walking walking a street walking the street or being in an event when there's a possible when there's a pedophile there yeah i mean i they, they really shouldn't be allowed into events like this no they should not be allowed and obviously you were you did the right thing to to ensure that there were more volunteers to make sure the kids were protected, but also we but as a just, society must educate our kids to ensure that kids do not come in contact. You know, as the old saying goes, when you were when you were a child and I was a child growing up, what's one of the first things parents tell you tell you not to do? Talk to strangers. Right, of course. So the thing is, it it really has that point has to be driven home, and now with the internet which is even worse because look how many times uh, pedophiles lurk online and they, they grab innocent kids. Sheldon, I could tell you, and uh, I, I, I hate to say this, but I've done the research on this. I could tell you that um, there are sites on the Internet that are open camera sites which allow you or anybody else to, um, to, to, to join to fake being a female or male, right? To put up mm-hmm. a fake video or fake picture. Mm-hmm. 
and to watch young people um, masturbate. Oh, my God. There, oh, that is sickening. There are sites on the Internet that allow you to do that. And uh, I, I did the research for an article that I had written. And uh, oh, yeah. you can probably find it online, the article. Uh, and um, and, and it, is, it is absolutely sickening. And even if they take it down, they'll find another way to put it up as quick as they could take it down. There's just not enough but these sites, policing. These sites exist, and they're supposed to be policed. And the sites themselves say they police them, but you know they're not policing. No. Right? And 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 at the end of the day, at the end of the day, who's getting hurt? It's the kids. The kids are getting it's the hurt. kids. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, with cell phones and everything else, that you yeah. know, like before, parents used to try to monitor the best they can to put quote a computer in a public hallway in their house so they could the kids could be monitored that, that they're not on. Any, expl- any sites are being drawn into anything explicit. Right. But now with cell phones, it's even harder. It's impossible. It's, it's impossible. And that's the scary part is that, uh, that the children themselves today are inviting pedophiles into their, into their bedrooms. Yeah. And uh, this, is, this is the issue. Uh, they're sending out nude pictures of themselves to each other. Those pictures yep. could be intercepted. You know, they use this, uh, this app called Snapchat. I don't know if you've ever seen Snapchat. Show. Uh, I've heard of it, but you know what? It's, it, it's also bogus to the point that even though it, the uh, picture will dissolve in a very sh- short period of time, all it takes is a second or two seconds to download that picture yeah, but before the picture disappears from sight. So it's not but as- foolproof. But aside from that, because you could take a screenshot for sure. Exactly. Uh, but aside from taking a screenshot of the picture... Uh, if you read the terms of service of, of, of Snapchat, which I have because I did for that article that I was, that I was working on. Okay. Uh, if you read the terms of service for Snapchat, and it's pretty long and boring and odious, uh, but if you take a look at the terms of service, mm-hmm. they are very clear in saying that all pictures uploaded to their servers stay on their servers for 55 days before being deleted. Which Boy, means... Which means that for 55 days, anybody who hacks into Snapchat servers, anybody who works for Snapchat, anybody who has access to Snapchat servers can access all the pictures that have been uploaded to Snapchat servers. They also claim, they also uh, in their terms of service say that any picture uploaded to Snapchat belongs to them and can Mm -hmm. be used for marketing purposes. So imagine a young child, a uh, a young boy or a young girl, Sending their boyfriend or girlfriend of the moment a nude picture of themselves, uh, which which happens almost every minute on Snapchat, apparently. And, oh and these pictures get stored for 55 days on Snapchat servers. Snapchat technically owns the pictures and can redistribute them in any way they want. That is really frightening. Is that not scary? That is very frightening. And this is what... And this is what children are doing today. They're using Snapchat and Instagram to send each other nudies. Uh, now, Instagram is owned by Facebook, which stores everything perpetually. So anything you put up on Facebook, anything you do on Facebook is stored forever. Now, if you want to know how much f- information Facebook has on you, Sheldon? You, I don't doubt it. You can go and you can download all the information that Facebook has on you. They have an option in Facebook to go and download all the information they have on you. So I decided to do that. Because I said, you know what? I'm interested. I'm curious. How much does Facebook have on me? Now, the Facebook account I use is the second Facebook account I had. 
The first one was shut down for whatever reason. Facebook decided to shut it down. Uh, but seven years ago, they shut down my first Facebook account. Um, they never gave me a reason for shutting it down. But I'm assuming they didn't like my politics. That's, that's what I'm assuming the reason was. And I started a second Facebook account. And this is the uh, second version of the Facebook account. And I downloaded the, um, the data they had on me for the last seven years, Shell. They keep, okay, but you said they keep, it for, they keep it forever, right? Yeah, of course. They never delete okay. anything. Okay, but all you can get is seven years? No, the, you the... get, you get uh, I've only had this account for seven years. Seven years ago, they okay. shut down my other account. But gotcha. if, you've, okay. if you've been on Facebook for 13 years, I can't be on longer because Facebook's only 13 years old. But if you've, okay. if you've been on Facebook for 13 years, you can download all 13 years' worth of data. Oh, so boy. in the seven years that I, was, uh, that, that I have of Facebook data that I downloaded, they had every single chat conversation, every single audio conversation I had, every single video I ever posted, every single picture I ever posted, even the ones I deleted, uh, every single message I typed and never posted. You heard me right. I typed you, you it. You typed in, it, but you never and posted it. I never it. posted it. So I, I, I thought twice about posting it, and I stopped myself, and I didn't post it. They had those. So, so in reality, they saved your posting as a draft, even though they saved it as a, as their draft. Yes, they did. Oh my God, that I never knew. I knew Facebook would keep tabs on you. That part I knew, but for you to type, not send it, and then they still had it. They still had it. So it's almost like they put keystrokes in your Facebook account. Uh, your Facebook uh, account. They do. Oh, my goodness. That I, was, I didn't know. And I, I bet you a lot of people don't even know that. I was actually shocked on how much information they had. Uh, they had information about stuff I did outside of Facebook because uh, they, they, they track you with cookies on your computers and on your cell phones. So they had, they had information on stuff I did outside of Facebook. They had uh, passwords. They had a whole list of passwords. And I was looking through these passwords. and It was passwords to everything I have. Uh, all my passwords were there. And they somehow managed to keystroke all my passwords. And they had all my passwords for the last seven years. So, you know, you change your passwords every now and then, right? Right. Most people change their passwords every now and then. They had every single password I ever had in the last seven years. There was a list of them. And I looked through the list, and I was like, wow. They had everything, Sheldon. Everything. And I was, and I said, if that is not the scariest thing in the world, that this one company is able to track you so deeply that they have all your information. Uh, how, how could you possibly survive in this world? And I'm also wondering if, if, if Facebook is doing that. You, well, know then, that Go- you know that Google is doing that. Google has uh, more information on you than you have on yourself. They know more about you than you know about yourself, Sheldon. Yeah, so Google is probably doing it. You know, any of these big... Uh, any of these big Twitter's probably doing it also. Yeah, I'm sure. YouTube is doing it. Yeah, YouTube's owned by Google, so yeah. Yeah, so YouTube is going to be you. YouTube is doing it. I'm so, sure. When you log into your YouTube account or you log into your Google account or your Gmail account, uh, it logs you in and never logs you out. So it tracks everything you do. Uh, you have a little button called Sync. I don't know if you ever seen it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen it. So yeah, that, it's, that, you can sync that to your phone or any other device. So that Sync that button. Have. That sync button records everything you're doing so that you could use, you could just pick up on any device. So if I start typing an email on my computer and I switch over to my cell phone, if it's synced, I could just pick up the draft of my cell phone and continue. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, but what that also does is it allows it gives them permission to grab everything. Whatever you well, they have to in order for you to be able to sync. Exactly. Uh, is to, to be able to, to, uh, to wire, wirelessly sync. So they have to do that. Yeah. So they- uh, but that, that, I know they, that I know they have to do it. But, you know, and now if you figure, uh, and I'm, I'm trying to remember where I read this article from, cell phone, cell phone computing is now outselling regular personal and laptop computers now. I'm sure it is. Because now you can take your cell phone and do just about practically anything. You could print from your cell phone. You could do just about anything on your on your cell phone now. And you know what? Cell phones are a scary prospect too. Yeah. So you know why they're scary? Years ago, uh, maybe five, six, seven years ago, before the proliferation of cell phones, before they became so big and 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 and, and popular, before everybody in the world had a cell phone. The government wanted, if the government wanted to track you, they had to get warrants and they had to plant tracking devices on you and they had to really, you know, they had to really work at it, right? Mm-hmm. With the advent of cell phones, you're tracking yourself. Every cell phone has a GPS unit in it. Yeah. And whether you have the GPS unit active or an inactive, because you could say, don't track my location, it's still tracking your location. Well, they have to track your location because they have cell phone towers. Otherwise, you wouldn't get any cell phone reception. That's right. So they have to, like, if the authorities wanted to attract you, even though you don't have your GPS on, they can definitely go to the cell phone, go to your cell phone provider. And find you. Put your phone number in, and they'll say this was the last tower that John Doe was at. Right. So they could definitely approximate your location or your last location. And they could triangulate you and find you. Exactly. But you have to have, otherwise you can't have cell phone, like, if you want to have cell phone service... You have to you have to draw it from somewhere, so you have to draw it from your cell phone tower. So we have voluntarily, by purchasing cell phones and making cell phones so popular, we have voluntarily given up uh, any concept of um, of privacy. Here, I'll give you another uh, another interesting scenario. You take a look at the United States, most powerful country in the world. They would have satellites, let's say, tracking other people, other countries. You know, let's say the Soviet Union or China or whatever the case is. Just imagine one time if the United States were to put their satellites on themselves and monitor every single thing, activity that their own citizens are doing. But they're doing that already. Yeah. Like, just just think about that for a minute. 250 to 300 million people, population, yeah. being watched by the government. Well, that's what and it doesn't make a difference who's governing, you know, Democrats, Republicans... They're all doing it. When they passed the Patriot Act in 2001 after the 9-11 attacks, the Patriot yeah. Act gave them the right, the government the right, to listen to any telephone call made yeah. in the country, to read any email made in the country without a warrant, read any email made in the country, listen to any telephone call in the country, and monitor any form of communication happening in the country yeah. without a warrant. If you even go into the U.S. customs, like if you're driving, let's say, to Plattsburgh, going to New York City or wherever, there's there's towers near near the near the customs that yeah. they monitor all cellular signals going from both countries. Yep. I I don't know if you've seen it, but I've seen it. Yeah, and when you get to the uh, border, they block your signal. They block exactly. They block your signal, and it's only after 
I don't know if it's a half a kilometer or a kilometer or a mile, whatever the case is, that then your cell phone can then, can then be turned back on. But it's no man's land, and it's, it's completely locked. You cannot access your, your cell phone. It's amazing. And, and, it's very, and it's very, very scary. And now, well, it's been like this now for a while. Um, I don't know if it was Obama or when Trump got in. I don't remember. But now what they're allowed to do, apparently is that if you go to the United States, you can be asked to furnish your cell phone and, they and could, give them your cell phone on demand. And they could read your messages and... Yeah, they could read your messages. If you have a password, you have to unlock it or give them your password to unlock it. Failure to do so will not allow you to be admitted into the country. Amazing. And or you might they might even confiscate your phone. And hold you until you are willing to give the information. I'm not saying they do it to everybody. Look, my girlfriend and I went to Plattsburgh uh, last year or two years ago. We never had a problem. Yeah. We, we crossed over. Where are you going? Plattsburgh Beach. How long are you going away for? About four or five hours. You have anything to bring in the States? No. Okay, have a good time. Fine. Sure. But you don't even know, like, after when you cross, they also have people that'll that'll monitor you. And sometimes you could be followed. Yeah. You know, if they suspect anything, even though, they, you know, we weren't, but I've heard of cases where people would get followed. In a car, a car following them. In a car following from the U.S. Border Protection Agency. Yeah. Wow. You know, so, I mean, like, it, it you know, it all depends. Like you said, it. we live in a very difficult time. Like you said, 9-11 just completely changed history in every and security in every sense of the word. Look, years ago, you you would go to the states. You do, you wouldn't need a passport, right? You, they in, in, in very rarely did they even ask for your birth certificate. Maybe the odd time they would, very, but they wouldn't ask for your passport. Now you have to show them your passport. You got to show them everything. You go into you go into airports for people that haven't flown in a while. You got to go through security, even if you're going into Canada. Still have to go through security. Yeah. When you go into the court at the Palais de Justice. You should see the screening process. Yeah, through uh, metal detectors and then... Uh... Yeah, metal detectors, everything. Like, it's it, the whole thing for 9-11 changed not only the United States of America, America, but every single country around the world. Pretty scary. It's very scary. And now, like you said, they can monitor you at any time for no apparent reason. And no, like you said, they do not require a warrant. All right, Sheldon, we're all out of time. Okay. I want to thank you for uh, joining me, and you'll be back in a few weeks, I hear. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to be going away for a couple of weeks, so uh, have a good couple of weeks, and uh, yeah, I'm going somewhere nice and warm. Ah, it's good to be warm. Yeah, yeah, so uh, I'm yeah, so I'm looking here forward to the... I'm going to stick around here in the cold. Okay, well, I'm sure, hopefully, you won't get a few snowstorms while I'm gone, so, um, but you. I'm sure you'll, you'll uh, lighten up things, and uh, hopefully you won't get any more. <laughs> Muted uh, <laughs> music believe, from YouTube or whatever. I can't, can't believe, I still got can't believe they did that. I was one second late and I was one second early in flipping over the uh, the video. Aye, aye, aye. All right. Well, take care and have a great, great rest of the week, Howie, and all the best. And uh, we'll Shiller. touch base on I'll be back on the 15th of March. Perfect. All right. I'm Howie Silberger. This is the Howie Silberger Show. We will be back on Wednesday. On Wednesday, we'll do a one-hour version of the Howie Silberger Show, followed by Political Hitman right here on the True Talk Radio Network. Uh, key, you know, follow us on Facebook, uh, like us on Facebook, and you will um, 
and you will be able to uh, to know what's going on and uh, when the show is on and how to listen and why to listen and when to listen. And of course, like us on Facebook and uh, support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Howie's. Until, uh, until Wednesday, I bid you a farewell and a great, great rest of the week.